Some weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking to you about Jesus calming the storm. You won't remember, I won't be so vain as to think you'll remember it. And uh, we saw how in that story, Jesus calming the storm, that Jesus is presented as Lord of creation. The wind and the waves heard his voice. He said, peace be still. As I mentioned, we weren't sure if he was talking to the disciples or the storm, but the storm heard his words and thought we better do what he says. So he was seen to be the Lord of creation. In the second part, which we're going to look at now, we find Jesus is shown to be Lord of the spiritual world, Lord of the creation and Lord of the spiritual world, natural and spiritual. And as we know from Colossians, he is Lord of all. So it's no surprise to us. But in these two stories, we see it clearly taught that he's Lord of creation and he's Lord of the spiritual world. So let me read to you. We're in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gadarenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell uh, at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. But Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons, demon, pardon me, into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Galileans asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. A long reading, I make no apology for reading uh, the Scriptures. Tremendous story. It's one of the saddest stories in Scripture and certainly in the New Testament. And yet it has a tremendous deliverance at the end. Here we have a man whose life had been totally devastated by the demonic that had entered him. Now we're told in Matthew that there were two men, but Luke's focus is on the one who was the speaker and whom the conversations took place with. It was a place where maybe people would have gone in that condition into the tomb. People didn't want them in the the cities and in the towns. They would be driven out. And of course, the natural place for a demon to take someone is to a cemetery because that's really the world that they, they live in, in that way. And so 
having proved himself Lord of creation, as he psalmed the psalm, now he finds Jesus confronted with this spiritual challenge. Certainly not a challenge to him, but he meets this man whose life had been totally devastated by the enemy's attack in his life. We're told first of all there that he had lost his self-respect. It says there he had not worn clothes in verse 27. And so as the enemy of our souls, and he is called the destroyer, he certainly went ahead to destroy this man. We find that he had lost his self-respect. It says there he had not worn clothes. He'd lost his, um, uh, his self-control um, had gone. He was driven by the demons. His self-determination was gone. He was chained hand and foot. And he'd lost his home and his family. He lived among the tombs. What had happened to this man was the total destruction of his life. Now, Jesus said that the devil was a thief and a robber. He's the one who came to destroy. And if ever there was an illustration of enemy activity, it's in this man's life. We're told that when Jesus landed on the shore, um, the man from the town, but he wasn't from the town. There was a time when this man was part of society. But because of this spiritual conflict in his life, he was now taken away from his family, away from his home, away from society, living among the tombs. And we find that Jesus arrives here. No sooner had he dealt with the waves and the wind, now he comes against a spiritual conflict in this way. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, he not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. That was the man's condition. That was the situation he found himself in. This must have been for a protracted length of time. We're not sure how long, but it certainly wasn't a 24 hour. This was his abode. This is where he found himself living. But Jesus stepped ashore. Do you know there is nowhere Jesus will not go to meet people's needs. Other people were dodging this man. You'd have told your kids, don't go near the tombs. That man lives in there with his friends. You don't want to go there. Children would be kept away because of the situation. But Jesus stepped ashore. And what is fascinating to me is the man approaches Jesus. Now you'd have think, wouldn't you, they'd run a mile, the demons. But no, the man approaches Jesus. And here we have the conflict, possibly the man seeking deliverance. And the demons obviously not seeking deliverance in any way at all. And they came. And it's interesting what he says. When, G when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. This man who could not be chained, this man who could not be controlled, this man who had been put into quarantine almost in the cemetery is now at the feet of Jesus. And he comes out with this tremendous statement. He identifies who Christ is straight away. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And immediately we understand why he was at the feet of Jesus. Because every knee shall bow, Philippians tells us. Every knee shall bow. And when he stepped ashore, there was only one position that Legion could take up. That was to fall at the feet of the Son of the Most High God. And from that place, the man's deliverance had started. From that acknowledgement here, that Jesus was the one who you bow before, the Son of the Most High God. It's interesting that in the boat, when Jesus calmed the storm, they turned around and they said, who is this? They were in confusion. They, they thought, well, why? What's happening here? 
Tell you what, the demons are never confused as to who Jesus is. Never. And these demons knew who Jesus was because they had met him before. They'd met him in heaven when they were cast down after Satan's rebellion. That's a study maybe for this evening. Greater minds than mine will delve into that possibly. But that's our situation where he comes and he's there and he's at the feet of Jesus. Do you know all freedom, all deliverance, all healing, all salvation starts at the feet of Jesus. You can't go anywhere else. You say, well, I'll meet Jesus, but I want to meet him halfway. You don't meet Jesus halfway. You fall at his feet. Because I've got a big surprise for you. Your mother might have said you were wonderful, but when you get next to Jesus, you fall at his feet. Fall at his feet. And that was the position that this ministry of deliverance was going to flow out from there. The conversation is fascinating what takes place. What do you want with me, son of the most high God? He said, don't torture me. I beg you, don't torture me. And they were told why? Because Jesus had already begun to deliver the man. He'd already begun to speak to these demons and say, you boys, get out, out. And it was torturous because there was that resistance within this man and within that spiritual world. The quickest word I can think of is the word conflict taking place. But Jesus had all authority. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man many times and seized him, and we know there. Then Jesus says to him, what is your name? What is your name now? George, Fred, Gordon. Well, well, I'll associate with the demonic. Uh, Sorry, I was just saying, you know. Um, And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. I... A legion in the Roman Empire, and somebody's got to tell me I've got this wrong, was 6,000. Somebody went, yes. So when he's asked, how many demons, what's your name? He gives a name, or the demonic, give the name relating to how many there are. Now, I am not saying to you there were 6,000, you know, in that way, but it was a number that associated the name with legion of six, for we are many. This poor man's life, he had been infested by these demons. They had wrecked his life. They had wrecked his home. They had wrecked the whole, his self-respect had gone. The whole thing was, and it was their doing. They drove him. In fact, we're told in Matthew um, that um, that he, he, Day and night they drove him. He had no rest. He had no peace. The whole situation was terrible. And Jesus says to him, what is your name? He said that we, he replied, legion because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. There was no resistance here. We don't find any arguments from the demons. We don't find any any arguments from the enemy's activity here at all. None at all. They actually begin to negotiate with Jesus. They knew they were going. They knew they were going because the Son of the Most High God was going to tell them. But they tried, they wanted to negotiate how they would go. And the story, and I have plenty of time to speak, but I'll just move on. The simple answer was there was a herd of pigs there and they begged. They actually begged that they might leave the man and go into the pigs. But before that, 
they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go to the abyss. Now the abyss is the judgment. They knew that the judgment was coming. In the book of the Revelation, it talks about the abyss and the furnace, etc. They knew they were judged. They knew there was a time coming when they would be, their time would be over. In this world, and I realise for some of you, this is going to be a very challenging concept. It really is. And please, part of the job of a preacher is to challenge your thinking and to stretch it. There is an th- idea sometimes that the world will continue forever. It won't. This world is in God's hands. And these demons knew it. They knew they had an appointment with a judgment. They knew they were going to hell. They knew they were going to the abyss. And they asked for a stay of execution. Isn't it strange? Negotiating with Jesus. Well, you know, what about this? Well, if I have the air conditioning, can I have the sunroof? You know, I mean, what's going on here? Well, if you, you know, can I have a two years warrant? You know, they said, well, you know, don't send us to the abyss. He had no intention of sending them to abyss because there was a day and a time when they would go to the abyss. There was a time coming when he'd been to the cross, he had risen from the dead and the resurrected Christ after his ascension would deal with them in his power and his authority. So they said to this, a large herd of pigs was on the hillside. The demons begged them to go into them and he gave them permission. Now, if you're a member of the RSPCA, I'm sorry about the pigs. I don't know really. Um, Some commentators say that the pigs shouldn't have been there. Jewish people shouldn't be keeping pigs. Other people say the Gadareans weren't Jewish, so they were allowed to keep pigs. It's a very complicated. But this was a request of the demons. Rather than go to the abyss, they said they would go into the pigs. And the Lordship of Christ is seen here. There is no negotiation, forgive me. Jesus is not arguing. They ask, he says, yes. I said, really, I think it went like this. I don't care where you go, you're getting out of this man. I've come here to rescue this man. I've come here to set him free. I've come here to make him whole. And I'm not bothered where you go now because one day I'm sending you to the abyss, but it's not today. And we see his lordship. We see his authority. We see him striding around in this. You know, when I first became a Christian, um, I used to know the verse, you know, um, that Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I used to think maybe there were some sort of gates, not literalist in that sense, but some gates that were holding back the enemy or something. It doesn't mean that. I, I, I found out later that the gate was a place in the city where the local elders would meet, the councillors would meet. So if you live around here, it might be Kensington Town Hall where the council meet or etc. And Jesus is saying, no matter what plans, no whatever ideas, no matter what schemes the enemy comes up with, Jesus Christ will build his church. And no matter what these demons said or did, at the end of the day, Jesus was Lord. The man was going to be clean. Amen. Clean. And let's face it, he was dirty of what they had done. Well, they, the demons went into the pigs and they went running down the hill and they were drowned. Now, um, I don't think demons can be drowned. So the story is still puzzling to me. Any preacher that says he knows everything about everything, don't listen to him because he's not, he's deluded about himself, let alone anything else. 
You know, I'm not quite sure the connotations about this. The pigs, I know the pigs were unclean, so the unclean went in the unclean and the unclean went in the drowned. What happened then? Were the demons then looking for somewhere else to inhabit? I'm not sure. I don't know. But I know this, that when they left him, the man was free. The man was free. Some of you will say, well, this was a type of mental illness. This was, I'm, look, I ain't going to argue about that. All I know is one minute he's running around the tombs, the next minute he's going to be going home for a cup of tea. So what happens in between, you can, that's not the point. I personally believe it was complete demon possession and deliverance. And he was set free. Some of you say, well, I'm not sure. Well, they are. Bible tells us that this man was self-harming. The Bible tells us that he, had, he was driven night and day. This man's life had been totally taken apart by these demons. Jesus arrives and begins to put him back together. And that's what God does. You don't need to be in, a, in such a sorrowful state as this. But let me tell you, if you're falling apart, I know the person who put you back together. And it'll mean you bring in your life in line with his teaching and his word and his, and you will find the difference will be phenomenal. Anyway, must move on. So the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone up sitting at Jesus' feet. What a lovely verse. This man who was driven, this man who was chained, this man who had an armed guard around him is now sitting at the feet of Jesus. Earlier, he fell at his feet. If you notice that, it tells us that when he stepped off the boat, the demons fell at his feet. Notice now, the man's not falling at Jesus' feet. He's sitting at his feet. He's at rest. He's at peace. The conflict had gone. He was now able to think clearly and speak clearly. He looked out of eyes that were his eyes. He spoke from a heart that was his heart. He spoke from a mind that was his mind. And it was all because Jesus had set him free. He's sitting. Isn't it marvellous? Luke 8, 27. It tells us in Luke 8 and verse 27, he was not clothed. In verse 35, he was clothed. In verse 27, he lived among the tombs. In verse 39, he returned home. In verse 29, he was driven by demons into a solitary place. In Luke 8, 35, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke 8, 29, he was chained hand and foot under guard. And verse 35, he sat at Jesus' feet in his right mind. Do you know, I only became sensible, I don't want any comments from the ministry team here. I only became sensible when I gave my life to Jesus. Before that, I was totally self-absorbed. But when he came in and forgave me and changed my life, I began to think for the first time. I knew what the purpose of my life was. I knew where, why I was on this planet really, was to serve him and to worship him. Well, the conversation, as I say, moves on. Um, they found the man sitting at Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. I nearly was tempted to turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you in your right mind? But, but don't do it because it's quite, no, it's quite obvious from where I am that some of you would give the wrong answer. <laughs> now, if you're a Chelsea supporter, you're definitely not in your right mind <laughs> because you're trying to steal my manager from Derby County. But we'll pray about that. I'll, I want to, I'll just, I'm, I'm nearly there forgiving you. It's a shame if we had as much money as, anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, you know. 
in his right mind. Do you know, and I say this, and I could probably be misquoted, but I'm not really that bothered. Till you come to Jesus, I don't know if you're ever in your right mind, because we have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Till our sins have been forgiven, till we know who he is, till we decide who we're going to serve him and with the best we can, I don't think we, we know what's sensible is. Do you know, before I was a Christian, I did what I wanted and made a right, I nearly said a pig's ear, but after this sermon, I better not say pigs. <laughs> you know? But when I gave my life to Christ, in came the boundaries. In came the love of God, the church, people that loved me and cared for me. And life certainly improved no end. Okay, we're nearly there, nearly there. Those who had seen it, told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region asked Jesus to leave them. Can you imagine it, asking Jesus to leave? I mean, why didn't they ship this fella out, Legion? Why didn't they grab him, put him in a boat and send him? But they didn't, Jesus, why would anybody, looking at this man now, clothed all his and he's there and he's at peace and he's smiling and, you know, he's, he's normal. And they didn't say, Jesus, do you know what? We've got a few more of these fellas down the other cemetery. Would you come down and sort them out? None of that. None of What an opportunity for the sick to be prayed for. But no, they asked him to go. Now what? could possibly make anyone want Jesus to go away. It says they were overcome with fear. That's why. They were overcome with fear. Some would say, well, some of them wanted him to go because they lost their pigs and they were looking for compensation. And oh, I don't think, I don't think we're going anywhere near there. I think they were frightened. Listen, if they were frightened of Legion, I could understand that. If I thought Legion lived in our cemetery, I'd drive the long way home. But Jesus? But they couldn't cope. And some people, you know, don't become Christians because they're not fearful of Jesus, but they wonder what, if I open my life to him, what changes there will be. Let me reassure you, whatever changes there will be, will be for the better. The devil comes that he might destroy. Everything that the demons had robbed this man of, Jesus restored. He restored his dignity. He restored his sound mind. He restored his family. He restored everything. Well, they asked Jesus to leave. And what did Jesus do? It says there, he got into the boat and left. Imagine that. Got into the boat and left. But you see, the society didn't want him. But it was worth it for one man. You might say, well, all that way across the lake and all that, and all that happens is one fella's delivered. Let me say, one is enough with Jesus. If there's one person in this service this morning who's not a Christian, then Jesus is here to reveal himself to you as your saviour and friend, without a doubt, without a doubt. Others have come because they want to worship and etc. and share in the giving and the, the word, yes. But if there's just the one, was it a wasted journey? Well, when he filled in, when I was a minister in training, I had to fill in 
um, report forms, how many people had visited, etc. Do they do that now? Do they still do that? Okay. You know, and a report, you know, went all the way to the land of the Gadareans, only one convert. Oh, Elam headquarters. Well, he's not very good, is he? Hang on, one and 6,000 demons cast out. Well, I think that might have impressed them. <laughs> Just for the one. Then he got into the boat. There's a little bit of an appendage here. It says there, the man from whom the demons had gone out, verse 38, begged to go with him. Wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? He'd just been set free. For the first time in years, this man was now enjoying freedom. And Jesus doesn't do what some might do. He doesn't say, okay, come with me because you'll be quite a draw actually. Because um, I've got, what I've got is in the first service, I've got Lazarus giving his testimony. <laughs> I was dead and now I'm alive. Right, that will fill the town hall in the afternoon. But, but Legion, I want you to come because um, I think you could draw a crowd if you come with me. In fact, I'm going to film it. And we're going to have some DVDs, which are available. No, there aren't. You know, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to write a book. How I, none of that. Jesus never performed a miracle to draw a crowd. Never, ever. And if you find one that he did, I'll publicly apologise next time. He never worked to draw. He didn't need to. It says the crowds went out to him because he taught them as one who had authority. It was his teaching that drew them. As the crowds came out, then he saw they were hungry and did the 5,000. You know, he met them. On the way, he met the blind man and he would minister. But he wasn't thinking... You know, I need to do something to draw a crowd. He had crowds. He had to get in boats just to get a bit of peace from the crowds. And what he did was this. He didn't sign him up for Direction magazine <laughs> or Revival Times. Oh dear. Oh, steady. He sent him home. Sent him home. Why did he send him home? Because that's where this man should have been all the time. Sent him home. Maybe he had a wife, we don't know. Maybe he had children. Maybe his children were frightened of their father because of his condition. And he says, I want you to go home, please. In fact, Mark's verse 5, verse 18 says, go home to your family. So he had a family. I wonder what his wife thought when he walked up the garden path. Maybe she had a special alarm in the house that she pressed. Maybe there were bolts on the doors. I don't know. But he came home to his family. Isn't that wonderful? Not an evangelistic tour, not a crusade, and they're great, don't get me wrong, but his family. Go home to your family and tell how much the Lord has done for you. And then lastly, Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew, Mark comes these words, and how he had mercy on you. What happened to the Gadarene? What happened to this man was this. God had mercy on him. That's the basis of all God's ministry to us. God has never done anything for you because you deserve it. And if you sit there thinking, well, do you know, I deserve, you know, 
to be healed because, you know, I've been listening to, um, I better pick who I pick now. I've been listening to Gordon Neal for several weeks now and I think that deserves a healing. Well, actually it deserves a brain scan, I think, if you're listening to me. But, you know, no, he's not going to heal you because you put up with my preaching. He's not going to heal you because you've travelled all this way into church. He's not gonna, I'll tell you why he will heal you. I know why he set this man free, because he looked at him and he had mercy on him. Now, that doesn't mean to say we live as we want. I want to please him. I want to do it. I need to be a better Christian than I am. Oh, no doubt about that. But go home and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And you know, God loves sharing his mercy. God loves. I met people who don't have a lot of mercy. You make one mistake with them and that's you finished. They wash your hands of you and are hard and are unforgiving, but not Jesus. When I think of all the things I said and did before I was a Christian, how could Jesus ever forgive me? And I was only a teenager living in Norfolk. I, was, I went to school in Greenford, whatever, you know, and all the rest of it. Just a, a lad. My sister said to me some time ago, she said, I don't remember you ever having a meal at home with us. I said, well, that's simple. She said, what? I was never in. Never in. Straight home, just go out, out. A bit like this man, really. I was out, you know, gone. But he had mercy. And today, Jesus wants to have mercy on you. If you have some demons, well, you know, we're not frightened of them. That's for sure. Told the first service, I've never had a demon yet that didn't do what I told it. But I've met some Christians I could have ministered to. That sounded like win then, didn't I? You know, ministered to. No, we're not bothered. If you need mercy and deliverance, we will pray with you. If you need divine healing, we will pray with you. If you need, whatever you need, we'll pray for you. Because we believe in the mercy of God. We believe he's gracious and merciful. Now you say, does that mean I will always get healed? Sadly, no. Does it mean I, all demons will all come? Some come out by prayer and fasting and some Christians, I'm afraid, seem to want to hang on to them. Oh, they're not Christians, but you know, that's for tonight. Um, anything I don't want to talk about, I pass over to Pastor Colin, you know, in that way. He's got mercy. You say, Gordon, I've not been a good person. You, you, then you need mercy. Gordon, I've said some terrible things. You need mercy then, don't you? You need somebody to forgive you because you'll not make up for it. Oh, Yo, I've done this and I've done that. Oh, okay, I'm not really interested I'm only interested if the mercy is only available to certain people at certain times for certain things. But God's mercy is available to everybody. And with that, you all say amen. Let me do it again. God's, hang on, hang on, hang on. We've got to make this good on the telly. There's a whole new career coming up for me soon. All right. I've forgotten what I was saying now. We believe in God's mercy, don't we? Yes. That'll do, that'll do. Now, I hope that if there were some demons here this morning, they heard that. I was one, I don't, I've not been to America very, I've been, I think I've been to America twice. And I can remember, I'm going over time here, forgive me. I can remember going to a breakfast, or a, a minister's meal somewhere. It was one of these places where you could eat as much chicken as you want. Anyway, I've never recovered and in, in this restaurant, I think it was a friend of, Kate, of R.T. Kendall's, this man. I think it was him. 
And the guy said, oh, someone in our church got healed yesterday. And this guy who was from Kentucky, I think, it was a hillbilly. Can you say hillbilly? Is it not allowed? You can't say hillbilly. Have I just, am I going to be sued? He was from the hills. And his name was Billy. Have I got out of that? So his name was Billy, who lived in the hills. I won't start on the Welsh, or we'll be here all day. And in the middle of this, Billy jumped up and started doing this. He went... In the middle of a restaurant. I thought he's flipped. And he shouted, he said, Are you listening to this devil? Well, first of all, I thought to myself, how in the middle of the restaurant. Secondly, I don't know if the devil's down there. I see him walking about around here. <laughs> that was a true story. I was, in, um, I was in Illinois. That happened in Illinois. And I think the guy was, the state below Illinois was Tennessee. It might have been Tennessee. I just say Kentucky because that's where RT's from. Do you know, are you listening, devil? You see, we're not bothered. The, the grace and the mercy of God is there. Trouble is, you're all going to remember me stamping my feet now and you'll forget the rest. <laughs> but don't. He's defeated. Amen. And when we spoke about the mercy of God, we were basically saying, are you listening, devil? Because we have a God who forgives. Amen. 